Welcome to The Founder's Mind. This is your host, Adam Mutchler. On today's episode, I have Emily Best, founder of Seed and Spark, a crowdfunding and media subscription platform for independent filmmakers. Emily has asserted herself as a changemaker in a space in need of transformation. Listen and learn how Emily saw a gap in fundraising and diversity in media and is all in on fixing it. I kind of just like to start at the beginning. Tell us a little bit about what you're working on, who you are, you know, in your own words, from the perspective of a founder, because you're probably, you consider yourself many things, I'm sure. Sure, yeah. Um, so my name is Emily Kelleher Best, and I'm the founder and CEO of Seed and Spark. Um, Seed and Spark has combined the career building power of crowdfunding for filmmakers with the convenience of subscription streaming for audiences. And what we're building is an entertainment studio for the 21st century that delivers actually diverse content to the audiences who've been massively underserved by our industry for so many years. Um, so Seed and Spark uh, arose out of my desire as a filmmaker to have a meaningful path to build an independent, sustainable career as a filmmaker. Um, but in 2011, when I, after I produced my first film, I was like, I'm a filmmaker. Like, shit, that's, thank you, universe, for telling me what it was that I meant to do. Um, still didn't end up as a filmmaker, did I? Uh, and as I started building a business plan um, and learning about how business plans for production companies were built, I was like, people finance based on this information. It's, it's all a lie. You can't demonstrate traction. Uh, until you've made a bunch of movies. And even then, um, so much of how those movies perform is out of your hands. How is this like the way things have been done? Um, and so Seed and Spark was a combination of the experiences making Like the Water, which was the film that we made, and um, really wanting a future for myself, um, making a sustainable living at my career. And it just so happened that all of this occurred in 2011, which was like the year that Kickstarter and Indiegogo hit the scene. It was the year that Netflix went digital. Um, it was the year that Canon put that full frame sensor in the 5D camera. Production costs plummeted, distribution erupted, um, and crowdfunding was a thing. And so it was just sort of like a perfect storm. And I didn't have any bad habits, right? So I could, <laughs> I could just ask questions of people being like, you just accept that that's a good answer? And they'd yeah. be like, just the way things have always been done. I'm like, it's, but the internet exists. Like, why would yeah. you do it that way? Um, and over the last five years, it built like a superpower team. Um, and our crowdfunding platform is the most successful in the world for filmmakers. Um, we have the highest campaign success rate and project size, um, largest audience per project. Um, we started partnering with prestige production companies and brands who are putting up money and executive producership uh, for projects that crowdfund on the platform. Um, and then this past June, we launched sort of a beta test of our subscription streaming product um, where filmmakers can get their data end to end from funding all the way through, uh, through distribution. We pay per minutes watched. Um, and yeah, we're just making a go at building a 21st century entertainment studio that is trying to um, meaningfully correct for 
um, the lack of diversity and inclusion. Yeah. The, what comes to my mind is just like same team. I, I, I love the approach. I love what you're talking about. And I also, for me, it represents so much about the right way to create a business. It's really nice to hear you sort of walk through how you got to where Seed and Spark is. I was on the website before um, this and I noticed there's, you have curated pages and one of the curated pages, there's like three little tabs or whatever, is Chapman University. Yeah. And I went to Chapman. It was the first college I went to. I went there for six months. I was not ready for school. I didn't, I wanted to work, but I saw them on there. I was like, oh man. Yeah. Yeah. We have a great relationship with Chapman. And so one of the things that we did with Seed and Spark over the years, um, so I'm a non-technical founder. Mm -hmm. uh, I heard someone say once, and this is really reductive, but like, there are technical CEOs and there are marketing CEOs. And I am definitely a marketing CEO. I know how to talk to people. I can be the face of the company. Um, I don't have a technical background. Uh, and so when we launched, I made all the mistakes around like an outsourced dev shop and like not having the right product management person in place. And it was a real big mess. Um, and so our sort of beta version of the product was technologically very, very challenging. And I realized that if we were going to build this company, um, we were going to have to do it on the ground and in person. And so in the fall of 2014, I got in my car and I drove across country and back and I taught 35 workshops in 65 days with one of my co-founders, um, Erica Anderson. And this was a workshop that we had devised after helping filmmakers run enough crowdfunding campaigns that we realized like there's a set of questions that they all ask, right? So that we can walk them through step-by-step step what makes a successful campaign. But actually what we're really interested in about crowdfunding is how do you use, so filmmakers understand that they need to learn how to crowdfund. Mm -hmm. Crowdfunding is growth marketing and it's very entrepreneurial. And if you do it right, it leaves you with, a direct connection to your audience that no one can purchase from you and take away. That's yours forever. And we wanted to start to explain to filmmakers how important this was going to be for today's paradigm when now the platforms have all the power and the Amazons and the Netflixes of the world where everybody thinks they want to go get their content made um, hold all the power and the filmmakers hold none. So if they green light your production, you become work for hire against your own IP. You will never see data or, or backend from those deals pretty much ever. I think Amazon does some revenue sharing maybe, but not for their originals. Um, and you have no control over what they decide to promote or what they don't. Sure. Um, and, uh, and the only way that filmmakers can really like overcome this or become a star in this case is to own their relationship with their audience. Justin Simeon did it perfectly with, um, with Dear White People. Issa Rae has owned her audience from day one, um, first with Awkward Black Girl, and the several web series she made before that that were like not the breakout hits of Awkward Black Girl. Yeah. Working on that problem for a really long time. And you can go back and see all of these different filmmakers who've been working on that, and the ones who really stand out in those, um, on those platforms are the ones that have um, built that direct relationship with their audience that they own. So that's what we were teaching. And, um, 
And while we were waiting for the website to catch up to us, you know, we, we hired a CTO and he rebuilt it from the ground up. And in that interim, um, we went out and really taught filmmakers everywhere how to run a quick kick-ass crowdfunding campaign, but that was really the Trojan horse for how to build an independent, sustainable career in the internet age, where like it or not, like all filmmakers are internet entrepreneurs because the vast majority of the monetization of their work will happen on the internet, right? Yeah. Um, and that they need to be in control of and understand what their sales funnel looks like and like how to attract people and all those things. And these are all things you have to learn to do in order to run a good crowdfunding campaign. So, um, so yeah, so the way that we really built our brand was on the ground at film festivals, at universities, and um, membership organizations all across the country in person. We still teach 80 workshops a year. We go see Chapman a couple times a year. We see, <laughs> we see um, yeah, we see about 10, 10 or 15 universities. Um, yeah, dozens and dozens of film festivals. Um, and that's really how we, you know, how we built our network of creators, not just in like the arteries and the veins, but the capillaries of the U.S., where I think a lot of creators actually have the best shot at making sustainable careers now, because you don't need to be making $100,000 a year in order to have a sustainable living. You might be able to make sixty and make yeah. it. Yeah. That one of the things that you just described, which is the way I look at uh, growing my coaching business, is it's almost what I call brute force networking, which is like you just have to put the time in and be in front of people and build relationships. Yeah. You can't build, you know, you can build a great audience online, but you can't build a real network yeah. with like real connections without putting in that time and, and really going all over. I think in order to sort of, power a network as you said you have to be offering something yeah and part of the reason that we were able to get invited to so many festivals is because we were offering something of value for free um and what we were getting in exchange were customers right yeah access it was it was a great and and the tour ended up getting sponsored for a couple of years so it ended up being a revenue generator for us net net um and uh, continues to be an incredible opportunity. And now we're like quite specific with where we show up in person. And it tends to be places where we think filmmakers uh, have limited access to educational resources, where the other platforms probably aren't going, um, or in under-resourced communities that like really need the support and the help of the internet to get them the resources that they need. Um, so that's been really... Uh, really gratifying. Also, it just reminds us like why we keep going. I think that one of the hardest parts about a startup is it's just an seemingly endless slog. You know, there aren't that many days where you're like, everything was easy today. <laughs> don't have that. And in order to keep going, at least for me, um, being able to, uh, meet filmmakers where they are and give them this information and have them come up afterwards and say, thank you. I feel really seen or I, this I, had me thinking about crowdfunding in a totally new way. I now know how I'm going to go out and finance my project. Um, it just, it's why I keep, I can keep going. Um, it's really important for me to know that we're having a meaningful impact on the people that this was for in the first place. And it also, 
for me, like I wanted to make films and what I had planned for these last five years were three feature films and a short. And instead, because I built Seed and Spark, we've gotten over 800 movies and shows made. So being able to connect personally with the filmmakers who are making them also, you know, they feel that all like my children in some way, not, uh-huh. the, not the people, the films. I understand. Not speaking down to the filmmakers. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I mean, there's an element of empowering other people. You know, maybe there are a hundred people that had your vision for five years, yeah. but you know, taking that energy and empowering those people. Yeah. And it's obviously just like you said, the numbers, it's exponentially more content. Yeah. Um, but you started to go into, you know, working at a startup, it, you don't, there are very few days where you feel like everything is working. Right. Um, can you talk about a specific challenge? I'm sure there's more than one um, that you faced and how you navigated it. Fundraising has always been hard. Um, you know, uh, this company very much relies on me and certain sales capacities that I have. And I maybe haven't done a great job of, of handing off some of the responsibilities that like, I don't think someone else should have around like payroll and stuff like that, especially when we're such a small company. Um, but the fundraising is on my shoulders and the major biz dev. So our, our larger partnerships with big brands and stuff like that all falls to me. Um, and uh, I'm a woman, I work in content <laughs> and that's already hard to get funding for. Um, and I didn't come into this with like a Stanford network. Um, you know, we did tech stars and that was cool, except, um, there is still very much, I think in all of the programs, this kind of blue chip VC is the only thing that looks like a win. And so there's not a lot of coaching for um, alternate modes of finance. There's like one way to raise money. There is like a David Cohen workshop that everyone takes and then everyone thinks that's exactly the way that you fundraise. And like, that's just not reality. The other thing is there was some point last year in the spring when I realized um, uh, there's no really delicate way to say this. I wanted my cap table to reflect the diversity of the community that we're trying to serve. Uh And uh, going to blue chip VCs would mean that our success would just enrich like the same couple hundred white guys who are the LPs for the vast majority of the funds. Yeah. Um, And it would be the same white guy investors. Um, And that's like just not um, consistent with the rest of what we do. Sure. um, I, my fundraising tactic is smaller checks from great people. What's a really good piece of advice that you've received as a founder? I have two that I love the most. One is from my father who does a lot of coaching work actually and worked in, in strategic consulting for a really long time. Um, and his is very simple. It's do the next right thing right. Do the next right thing right. Yeah. Um, so to me, that's about getting really quiet, you know, either with myself or with my team and, and really being thoughtful about what the, next right step is and then taking that before jumping ahead i think 
founders, typically we can get really far ahead of ourselves because we can see it, you know, it's all there. Like I can see what this looks like in 20 years, right? But I have some real challenges right now today and I have to get, I have to be correct about what those are and what need to be solved in what order. Um, so for me, I surround myself in people who are a lot more measured. I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm a quick decision maker and I'm impulsive. Um, I trust my instincts. Those are really good qualities for me to have, but I have mm -hmm. to have a balance, right? Um, so one of my co-founders, Max, is incredibly measured and thoughtful and, and an extremely good balance to me. And I know when I'm like really jazzed on something, I will like I pull him aside and I'll be like, okay, here's what I'm thinking. And he'll, he'll ask really hard questions as he always does. And I, I hate this process, but I also would not be anywhere without it. Um, if I can convince him, it's good, right? And yeah. if you convince him, then I know that that's not the next, the next right step. Right. It is a step somewhere in the, in the matrix of steps. Yeah, exactly. But it's not the next one. Um, so that, that's the first one. And the second is not so much a piece of advice as a truism that helps me a lot. And this was by um, an advisor some years ago uh, who said, to scale your company is to scale yourself. Mm. Um, and I think it's really, really important for founders to be able to get the perspective to know when you are the bottleneck, right? This was a thing that like Travis Kalanick needed to learn a little earlier, right? Um, like on day one? <laughs> um, I think, you know, because I think you should always be very wary when you belong to a class of people whose society is treating like rock stars mm -hmm. because then that's the easiest place to go sideways, right? There's money pouring in on the back of tech CEOs and they're like rock stars and they're marrying famous athletes and supermodels and they're like, you know, showing up at awards ceremonies and they're getting involved in the content business in Silicon Valley and Hollywood are starting to mesh and, um, and that is not an environment for like smart measured decision making. Uh, and so, um, for me, um, I had to learn when, um, you know, when it was my own lack of knowledge or understanding that was standing in our way, or it was my lack of capacity. Um, and some of that has to do with, um, really being able to, um, even in the most sort of stressful, difficult moments, find the energy and capacity to look inward, to take a break, to make time for an employee who's struggling, to um, spend that extra half an hour to make a thoughtful decision or you know, do the extra piece of fucking paperwork that you don't want to do, but will make your life easier if you just get it out of the way. Like whatever those things are, you do have to find the reserve under the reserve, under the reserve, under the reserve, under the yeah. reserve over and over. And eventually it's, you know, you have this really tremendous capacity and it's also important never to treat that, I think, like a superpower because it's not, it's at your training, right? Like, like founders, the longer they get into it, they're like athletes in a certain way. And you're yeah. you have to be very careful that your training is, um, is like correct and healthy, um, or you can really hurt yourself. Um, so 
yeah, those are the two that I, I think were the most sort of like, aha. As soon as they were said to me, I was like, yeah. What's one thing you know now you wish you had known at the beginning of this journey? The seed and spark journey, we'll say. You know why that's such a hard question? Because if I knew any of this, I might not have done any of it. Like mm -hmm. my naivete was the reason that I got into making movies. Like I didn't know how hard it was going to be. And that uh, was really useful because it had me sort of insatiably curious about, is this the right process? What do you mean by that? Like I didn't have any bad habits. Um, I think, you know, if I could do it over again, I would have done essentially everything differently because I have the benefit of hindsight, which is 2020. Um, I think the, the innocence in some respect with which I went into this um, was really useful because I just had really honest questions about what was broken in this business. And uh, I think that has been received really well throughout the years because people know I'm not full of shit. Yeah. And I think um, there's a certain savvy sometimes that comes with serial entrepreneurship where you hear people start talking about customers in a shorthand and it's sort of about growth and KPIs more than it is about humans and connections. And it's just like, how do you pour money in the top of the funnel and make subscribers who are paying money come out the bottom of the funnel? And like, that's not, um, that's really useful stuff to know. I don't think that's where the passion comes from for most people. So in some respects, like I could only have done this if I was flying blind. Yeah you know, in this way. Um, you're not the first, you're not the first guest that said that. Sure. <laughs> I, you know, the one thing that I really do wish I had known, um, during uh, our tenure at Techstars, uh, one of our um, advisors came in and did a workshop on hiring and also firing uh, and the ways in which uh, the hiring process can be used to um, really understand how someone will fit into the company and how they will fill the role. Um, and I've learned the hard way about not firing fast mm. uh, a couple times because I'm, you know, I'm compassionate. I want to work with people. We're a small team. I love everyone who comes to work at Seed and Spark, like legit love them. Um, and, uh, you know, the drawback there is it can be very difficult, very, very painful to part ways. Um, and that's uh, something that I wish that that sort of that hiring process would definitely have screened out some of these folks in the beginning. And uh, the fire fast thing is a real deal. Um, <laughs> the cool thing is, like, I haven't had too much of that, but um, I'm very glad to have it now. And that's the sort of thing that, like, that's one of the great values that Techstars brings, right? Is you get those kinds of workshops really early in your company's life and that can be really, really valuable. So that's definitely one of those. Is like, I think there is some, um, some well-worn road around hiring yeah. uh, that, that people should learn before they start hiring people because it can seem obvious. You meet someone, yeah. and it seems great. 
and you get them on board and within three weeks you're like, I made a terrible mistake and how do I do this? Because I really need somebody to fill this role and going back to recruiting would take so much time, right? And so it's yeah. a huge, huge opportunity cost there. Um, so that's one of those things that I, um, I do really rely on now. The, uh, the technical side of running a business, not the software development side, but the actual like the nitty gritty yeah. of that business piece. Um, who's a founder you admire and why? There's so many. <laughs> um, Christine Carrillo at Joni. Jen O'Neill from Tripping. So those two are fundraising ninjas. Like I've learned more about fundraising from them than I ever could possibly. They have like, they have processes and they're relentless and ruthless and, um, really, really shrewd about um, how they go about fundraising and they they get great deals with great people, right? So it's very successful for them. Yeah, uh, I would say like I really sort of my, eventually I would like to be like Patagonia where <laughs> social good and employee happiness are really knit into the way that the company works. Um, that Chibani guy is pretty cool, you know, yeah. um, giving a portion of his company to everybody who works there. I just remember this, like, I, I don't know, I saw some it's 2020 or something on him. Uh, and it was like a, a Midwestern, like factory worker who was interviewed right after they were all told that they were going to get stock in the company. And he was weeping and saying, I never in my life thought that I could own a piece of the company that I worked for. And it like yeah. the way people felt about themselves. Oh yeah. That's leadership to me. Oh yeah. Figuring out the things that you can do that, that give people a, a, a meaningful difference in their identity in a positive way. What's something you recently learned that blew your mind? I read, uh, Cory Doctorow's book, Information Doesn't Want to Be Free. And that book connects a lot of dots about um, copyright law, particularly as it pertains to Hollywood movies and, and the music industry, um, net neutrality and device neutrality, and essentially the ways in which lobbying for copyright has given rise to the surveillance state. And like those dots connecting really blew my mind and also upset me. Um, <laughs> the idea that basically because of copyright law, I do not have control over the device I paid for. So like I own this device, but Apple gets to decide what I can and cannot see on it. Um, and uh, I just, I feel like you know, everybody is excited about blockchain because of the crypto markets, but I'm much more interested in block, what blockchain might mean to my personal security and my ability to set my own parameters about what information websites can and cannot use. Yeah. Um, but in order for that to be functional, we would have to have device neutrality where like I actually had control over what my devices uh, were doing based on my own settings. Um, yeah. That's been working on me a lot because I think the implications of that are tremendous. What the, this is for listeners, and this is also to make sure that you know there's a way for people to find you, 
how can people find you? This I really having you on has been amazing, and you know if some if something resonated with someone, I want them to be able to uh, find Emily or Seed and Spark. What are the best ways to follow along? I am at Emily Best on Twitter, and we are at Seed and Spark on all the platforms you might wish to connect with us on. I did that sentence in a preposition. Um, and you know, if you wanted to see pictures of my toddler, you could follow me on Instagram at eBest in the West. But I assume that's really just for my friends and family. <laughs> Emily, I really appreciate your time. This is uh, this has been enlightening for me, and I think there are, there are a lot of really interesting uh, perspectives and insights that you've that you've shared. So I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Founder's Mind. On the next episode, I have Aubrey Blanche, a startup advisor and head of diversity and belonging at Atlassian. To make sure you don't miss any awesome wisdom from guests and stay up to date on the most recent episodes of The Founder's Mind, be sure to visit thefoundersmind.com. You can also follow along on social at The Founder's Mind. I look forward to sharing future episodes with you all. And don't forget, rating and reviewing The Founder's Mind means a lot and it's greatly appreciated. Until next time, take care. In the world, going through all of this insanity and try to bring new ideas, make them a reality. Illuminate in the thoughts, make it a priority to implement what you learn, what you get is what you be. In a world full of noise, hard to find that clarity to try to lead subtly, never full of vanity and try to change something small or try to change humanity. Power forward through the dark, founder's mind is what you see.